Welcome to the 5G Decretory Podcast, where we will explore the hottest topics in 5G with some of the industry's leading minds. Europe has uh, placed 5G very high on its agenda, and uh, it's uh, driven towards a more connected digital and, uh, of course, also sustainable continent. We see important policy being implemented, but also new funding instruments such as Horizon Europe and Digital Europe uh, being placed. In this panel discussion, we will hear directly from the leaders on their visions, strategies and also expectations from this new ambitious uh, strategy. As all the panel discussions, uh, someone is moderating them. And I'm happy to announce that next to me is uh, the uh, moderator for this session. He is the 5G Techertory Program Director, the one responsible uh, for the content that we all now enjoy. Marios Nicolò, uh, hello and uh, best of luck with this session. Thank you very much. As Europeans, we have a shared vision for the success of our union. Digitalization of society is primary to our success. And for this reason, 5G European strategies are essential to ensure that our continent remains ahead and uh, in, in line with, uh, with the rest of the world. For this reason, we have assembled one of the finest and most esteemed panels uh, I have ever seen. Um, we are today honored to have them, and let me just welcome each one of them. Michael van Benninger, Chairman of Barrick, Peter Stuckman, Head of Unit, Future Connectivity System of the European Systems of the European Commission, Hilary Mein, the President of Digital Europe, Antonio Franchi, Head of the 5G and 60 Program of the European Space Agency, and Mike Bors, Head of Mobility and Digital Car of the BMW Group. Welcome. I will now address a question to each one of you since you come from so diverse um, organizations and let's hopefully bring it all together with respect to, to, the, to our strategies and the meaning that we give to this discussion. Michael, over to you and Barrick. Yes, Regarding you, 5G, what are the main challenges that Berek observes and how can Berek support the rollout of 5G networks? Thank you very much. Yes, um, I'm currently Berek Chair, the body of uh, European Regulators for Electronic Communications, which is the umbrella organization of all national uh, regulatory authorities in the field of electronic communications in, in Europe. And a key policy objective for the coming five years for Berek is promoting full connectivity and incentivize investment in 5G and fiber in the, in the IU at the moment. We know that only 40% of populated areas have 5G and 59% have ultra-high speed gigabits coverage. So fast rollout of 5G networks is a prerequisite for the long-term competitiveness and sustainability of the EU. 5G is a topic that Berek monitors actively and closely as the market develops. We focus on 
issues related to 5G rollouts, such as coverage indicators, infrastructure sharing, EMF, but also less feasible aspects, such as backhaul and copper switch-off topics that are also relevant for fixed network deployment. And Berek has analyzed a wide array of aspects related to the network and application to determine how 5G will impact the ecosystem. Actually, Berek developed a report on the impact of 5G on regulation and the role of regulation in enabling the 5G ecosystem. In, in the 2020, we also drew a, a radar to plot the 5G developments according to the anticipated time horizon. While doing this assessment, we also focus on sustainability aspects related to networks, and we are convinced that they upgrade to newer technologies and infrastructure, sorry, as well as the coordination of civil works and the joint use of existing physical infrastructure will reduce the environmental impact of electronic communications network deployment. But at the end, Barak is just helping in laying the foundation. We expect the digital transition to sprout and flourish on this foundation by verticals taking advantage of the seemingly endless possibilities of 5G and the customers using the newly developed services. Over to you. Thank you very much. Peter, now over to you. I mean, you represent the, the power steam machine behind the success of the European Union uh, with respect to technologies. What are the main success stories and lessons learned in the framework of the 5G projects that you funded so far? Yeah, thanks a lot for this question. I think we already saw quite a lot in the in the keynotes from Colin Wilcock. I think uh, we really succeeded in Europe to to build up these ecosystems from the start. Uh, people knew globally that the discussions around 5G take place in Europe. So we were able to have a really head start in terms of technology building blocks, in terms of standardization, and then also in the ecosystems. So then that led us to also then adopt the 5G action plan, where we really had ambitious uh, targets and also a lot of buy-in from the member states uh, to move this agenda forward. Um, the first target is more or less reached. So we have now 5G in 25 out of 27 member states. And now we really have to go into the investment um, mode, let's say. So really comprehensive deployment of these technologies. And here, indeed, we have the new challenges now in the context of the recovery. Um, where we uh, really also need to use um, funding instruments, public funding instruments to unlock this investment um, towards the digital and green transition. And in this context, we um, adopted the digital um, policy program um, in, uh, just after the summer, uh, where we have also now a new target towards 2030. So uh, maybe you know that in the 5G action plan, we talked about the um, deployment of urban areas and transport paths. So that's, of course, still valid. And looking towards 2030, we have also the ambition to be much more inclusive and say uh, everyone has to profit from this technology. And we want to reach 100% of the population, wherever people live, work, travel, gather, to have 5G. And then uh, we were also then looking into 6G, of course, in terms of new services that will be coming in the, at the end of the decade. So it's really now about using all the different inst funding instruments that we have from research and development to deployment programs, the connecting your facility that Roberto Viola mentioned this morning, um, 5G communities, 5G uh, corridors to get this uh, this investment now going. 
Hilary, thank you very much for that answer. Um, now, Hilary, over to you. It's very nice to see you again. It's wonderful to have you. Um, a question relating to digitalization. Which are the strategies that you propose that Europe should adopt in order to take full advantage of the European networks and generate more value? How 5G networks enable the digitalization of Europe? Thanks so much, and it's a pleasure to be here uh, again this year in a different context as president of Digital Europe. <clears throat> um, I think there's a, a couple things that are important here. So um, one of the ironies is um, that in Europe, we've done a fantastic job of uh, driving 5G technologies, right? Where we um, both, both the radio and fiber and submarine networks we have really good funding programs and standardization, which have assured our leadership on the technology side. Um, investments have paid off, public investments are starting to pay off. So um, uh, we have global standards that have emerged in Europe and our share of technology contributions is high. Um, it, we think in, it's really important, and you heard from Colin in the last talk, uh, it's important that we seize those opportunities and also um, start driving towards 6G, which is very far away, I know, but Korea will be, deploying in 2028, uh, it's in terms of standardization, we need to get on top of it now uh, because that'll also drive in also, of course, 5G advanced. Um, and Europe needs to continue to lead in that way. And, and we have done a great job uh, in some of the R&D uh, investments and so forth to do that. The EU funding um, for the um, is available with the 900 million Horizon Europe Smart Networks and Services Partnership and programs like HexX uh, really are helping us get on the right track. So that part is, is really good. I think um, what's ironic is that we lead in a lot of the technology development and we lag in the deployment. And lagging in the deployment is hurting our ability to create value. So um, you heard uh, earlier uh, from my Barrick, um, uh, from the Barrick participant about the lack of um, penetration. Uh, we, we still are going to be behind. If you look at Europe, we, we are behind in 5G penetration today and we should be behind in 2025 as well, unfortunately. So that sort of begs the question, why are we slow? Um, and if you're gonna put forward uh, strategies to improve, and there's two key things that we've observed and one is spectrum delays. <clears throat> we wanna ensure that, um, you know, we agreed on the 5G pioneer bands early on, but then the member states couldn't align. And this is, um, you know, the story of our lives. I, we recommend that, that you be focused and guided by two factors on spectrum going forward, which spectrum bands to do and how to allocate them to really provide the best value for Europe's overall connectivity, competitiveness, and energy efficiency. And if we can stay focused on that, I think we can move faster, hopefully. The second thing is that the EU policy focus and market um, competition focuses around the price that consumers pay for connectivity. And we take great pride um, from a policy perspective in how low prices are for European consumers. Um, and that has a positive side, but it also has a negative side, which is that the, um, the ARPUs and the revenue that we generate in the industry don't justify additional uh, spending the way they do in other countries and other regions. So, so the other thing to think about is the way we um, is can we focus uh, policy also on driving the ecosystems um, in a way 
that it makes it possible to invest and create business cases uh, more more in a more consistent way globally. So um, we don't, you know, 5G and 6G are ecosystems. It's not just about, if the network is really important, don't get me wrong, I'm also from Nokia, let's build networks. But it's a full ecosystem and it's ecosystem of devices, of services, of applications and so forth. And that's where the value lies is not just in the network. So the network needs to be there though to start. So, so if we can start to, if we don't have an environment where businesses can thrive in creating that broader ecosystem, they're gonna do the more interesting applications and services elsewhere. So, um, so I think those are a couple of things we need to address as Europe to be able to drive value out of the networks. Uh, and I do think also we need to drive, um, drive policy around the IPCEI, so the projects of common European interest. There are two that are really relevant, uh, cloud and infrastructure services, microelectronics micro and connectivity. If we can continue to push those faster, I think we can also get better results sooner. Um, so we want to uh, continue to drive, um, and, and if digitalization, our, our CEO recently said, and the Nokia CEO recently said, digitalization is green. Um, the, one of the most important benefits of digitalization, which is, which is how you drive value out of 5G networks, right? Industrial digitalization is a key driver there. As we drive value, we will drive um, a change, and it's, it's one of our only hopes to drive change in uh, sustainability. So I think that's that's really important for Europe going forward, making those connections. I'll leave it there. Thanks. Wonderful. Thank you very much, Hilary. Antonio, over to you and over to space. What are the main success stories and lessons learned in the framework of the five, 5G programs, projects that you, that you founded? What are the challenges with respect to end-to-end -end 5G networks spanning terrestrial and space domains? Thank you very much, Marius, and good morning, everyone. Um, thank you for inviting me in this esteemed panel. I'd like to take it from where uh, Hillary left with digitalization, because that's very important. Uh, the European Space Agency, we are witnessing, just like all of you, the digitalization of industry and society. And we believe that 5G and connectivity is the uh, underlying connectivity fabric, which will allow, enable digitalization and enable the range of uh, uh, services and applications that uh, Hillary was talking about. For that reason, at the European Space Agency, we created a program which is called Space for 5G and 6G. And the, the high-level strategic objectives are shared by all the panelists here are to support the 5G economy on a global scale, uh, underpin the digital economy, but also making sure that we, by doing that, we improve everyday life for everybody on, pl on the planet and we inspire the future generation. So on this very high level objectives, we believe that space, as you mentioned, Mario, has a role to play um, to provide some of the attributes which are fundamental for the 5G economy on a global scale to really be realized. These attributes, things like uh, seamless connectivity, ubiquitous connectivity, so connectivity everywhere, and resilient and secure connectivity. And some of these attributes, we believe that the convergence of terrestrial 5G networks and satellite uh, 5G networks are essential uh, to provide the end-to-end -end benefit to the, to the society and to the communities, which 5G and 6G uh, promise. So on this basis, we, we set up uh, in cooperation and collaboration with some of the existing European Commission program with 5GIA, 6GIA and 5GPPP, in a complementary way to make sure that the space sector is supported in Europe uh, to provide the uh, complementary 
uh, network technology integration and work alongside the terrestrial network, the, the Nokia network, the Ericsson network, the MNOs network, so that mobile network operator and satellite network operator sit together at the same table, whether that's a standardization table, whether it's that a customer table, whether it's a service proposition table, in order to provide seamless ubiquitous service to the, to the users. So to, to do that, we support the whole range of uh, uh, space, uh, European space uh, uh, actors, whether they are uh, network operators, satellite network operator, technology provider, or indeed product and service uh, developer and application developers to support um, anything which is required to make sure that the, the, the secure ubiquitous connectivity is provided to the end user. And going uh, to your questions, the type of success story we've seen so far uh, can be classified uh, in, in two, on, two on three areas. First of all, we now have uh, space as a presence in the 3GPP standardization body and uh, satellite networks are recognized as, as, as part of the 5G and beyond family of uh, network which will de uh, develop and deploy the end-to-end -end service. So that standardization is a very important aspect already mentioned before by Peter and others. And we are very uh, supportive uh, from space sector to make sure that uh, the networks of the future will provide the required uh, quality of service and attributes and space network will be part of them. The second set of success, I would classify on the technology side, uh, we are developing the network integration so that uh, terrestrial network and satellite networks can be deployed uh, uh, simultaneously in, uh, in a seamless way, uh, transparently to the users. And we have seen deployment of uh, a satellite network technology, whether the satellite is used in different topologies uh, to provide either an extension of the 5G network or an overlay to offer resilience, uh, or perhaps some sort of uh, uh, smart backhauling mechanism in order to uh, proliferate and accelerate the deployment of 5G terrestrial networks. And perhaps the most important aspects of, of success is actually on the end user side. Uh, we, we, see a we support a range of uh, um, use cases and, and product development and technology um, field validation. Uh, a, a wide sector that we support in the transport sector so we, we are supporting autonomy of transport and we have projects uh, across Europe developing, for example, uh, seamless connectivity for connected autonomous vehicles uh, or autonomous shuttles. Uh, we introduced the first autonomous shuttle, for example, in the UK, which will have 5G and satellite seamless connectivity in order to improve the level of autonomy uh, of cars on the road. Um, we also support the project for uh, high-speed trains where the uh, resilience of communication is very important and the terrestrial 5G uh, communication is complemented by satellite. Very strong sectors for us is obviously the aviation and the maritime, and again, the autonomy and the digitalization of the aviation sector and the uh, maritime autonomous, autonomous systems, uh, autonomous ships and autonomous uh, drones or airplanes is a, is a big area where the uh, space and satellite connectivity uh, is important. But also things like deployment of uh, uh, emergency uh, situation, emergency communication, uh, so-called cell on wheel, where a fast 5G cell can be deployed uh, and connected over satellite back to the rest of the network to, 
to health uh, emergency situation. So we say a variety of use cases ranging uh, from transport also to agriculture, um, to IoT, as mentioned before, a lot of sensor, and monitoring of the environment uh, to improve sustainability, but also act on the monitoring so that telecommunication can have a, uh, provide an active role to react if uh, fires are detected, uh, for example, and send uh, rescue services. So it's not only a monitoring service from space, but actually uh, act on, uh, on information from space as well. So we're very happy with the, with the, with the reaction, the, the support of this program. We are, uh, like European Commission, we are funding and co-funding space sector and non-space sector and work alongside the Commission to, on some of the projects to uh, complement uh, what we do. In terms of challenges, I would say the, the biggest challenge, perhaps I already mentioned before, is bringing alongside the, the, the large community of space uh, actors, non-space actors, and service provider and, and um, uh, end user customer. And that's something that uh, we are very keen to continue to promote with all the panelists on this table and other uh, space sector and non-space sector continue to move towards the, um, the 6G, where for us 6G is in another very important uh, phase where hopefully uh, space network and the integration of space and non-space network will be uh, there from the outset uh, since we have, we have already started the cooperation during the 5G era and hopefully uh, the so-called 3D networks of, of which 6G promise will be a, a heterogeneous and seamless mix of space and non-space network. Thank you very much for that. We indeed are very happy to see the convergence of terrestrial and, and space systems, especially with the new LEO uh, satellites that are being launched. And, and we really believe that that's a very uh, strong opportunity for Europe. Mike, over to you. Uh, I am particularly happy that we have your sector and especially such a successful European company that we're all proud of. So, here is a question. Which are the hot topics in the areas of smart vehicle mobility? And what are the challenges that Europe has to overcome in order to open up the way for autonomous and digital vehicles? Yeah, thank you for that question and thank you for having me in this discussion round. First and foremost, I think it's clear the hottest topic in the whole mobility sector is sustainability. So, but not only sustainability for the cars, it's as well sustainability for the whole sector. And there we, we would like to make a comparison with sustainability and 5G. And some of the aspects are currently have been discussed from, from my colleagues here. Um, first, 5G is sustainable because it's highly scalable. Every country in Europe and on the globe is striving for ubiquitous cellular connectivity. And that is key for the future. Second, 5G is highly reliable and comes with an integrated quality of service management, which is very helpful for us as industry to qualify the information we get over those networks. Third, it comes with a lot of socioeconomic benefits because it develops and enables cross-industry data sharing um, with that connectivity. Fourth point, it is cyber secure and has clear responsibilities 
because we have the connection through the vehicles to the trains, to the airplanes with one single point. Uh, it follows a clear cybersecurity by design principles and um, that's, that's good for the connectivity. And fourth point or the fifth point, um, it is cost effective because every IoT device, every vehicle, every train will be connected in future. And if we strive for that single connectivity, um, the, the, the mobility modes uh, only have to implement one radio, which comes with two connectivity modes, so the cellular pass and the direct connection mode. If we go into the mobility sector, um, there are a lot of topics. What we don't have yet is really one connection between all modes of transportation. So we are all envisaging one app, one platform or different apps, different platforms where customers could really go in and um, book reserve um, uh, for their mobility from A to B with multimodality. So 5G connectivity clearly would help to enable this, this multimodal um, traffic uh, systems um, in Germany, in Europe and on the global scale. I think connectivity there is not the, the, the neck breaker. So the different companies have to overcome their, their personal interests and uh, look on or hook on to, to that multimodal system to make mobility much more efficient and cleaner. But as well for automated vehicles we are striving for, I think 5G connectivity could give us um, a high support. Currently, all the vehicle manufacturers focus on um, level three, level four um, autonomy, autonomy on, on highways. But if we want to go to complex and densely populated areas to inner city traffic, we need much more information from the, trans, from the traffic um, infrastructure. All the traffic lights, all um, connected um, traffic sites um, should be connected and could serve as an additional input sensor for our connected and automated vehicles. And I think we all know that implementing 5G connectivity in densely populated areas is a hassle because you have to find the spots where you put the antennas, uh, where you have the right, um, the, the right position of the antennas. But I think we can make a combination if we put all the small cells on the road furniture, which is currently there, maybe connect the road furniture directly and get that information to centralized backends and share that information with the whole mobility sector that will be a new and positive way forward using 5G connectivity. Thank you very much. Wonderful. Um, thank you very much for that. Obviously, the, the auto manufacturing industry is very important for Europe and we have leadership there and we all aspire to see more and more connectivity and more digitalization of that sector. Let's move on to our second uh, round of questions, again for each of our panelists, starting with Michael. 
Concerns regarding EMF were stalling the rollout of 5G in the past years. What are Barrick's main lessons learned from that, uh, from that deployment? I, I think Michael has um, some technical issues and he's dropped okay, off. Sure. Sorry about that. Um, no, okay, we'll let you know if he comes back. Okay, over to Peter then. Peter, we see so many new wonderful funding programs coming out of the EU, including uh, uh, Digital Europe, Horizon Europe. What does the future hold? What are your expectations with respect to how these programs will achieve um, their task? Yeah, indeed. I mean, we are um, in the context of 5G and 6G, we're looking at several programs now. Uh, of course, overall, we have also the Next Gen EU Recovery Resilience Fund that will play a huge role at member states level. And we're trying also to bundle and to, to join forces between the different national efforts um, to, to go for European flagships. So projects where uh, one member state or one, one country can't go alone. Uh, things, think about chips, think about clouds, think about uh, 5G and 6G. So these are digital ecosystems and huge investments where we have to work together. And um, we have seen already good take up of digital in the recovery and resilience funds and um, uh, in, in, in key areas, uh, 5G, one of them, in a couple of member states, many member states are including that for deployment um, uh, of uh, rural areas, for 5G corridors, um, uh, for the automotive uh, and, and rail, especially. Um, so they are, uh, these are, of course, huge opportunities. So it's, it's a bit like once in a lifetime that you have these huge, um, huge public funds now coming that we need, of course, to, to get out of the, of the crisis and, and go into recovery. Um, this, of course, uh, is uh, complementary to the EU budget, so the programs that we're running at EU level. And there we have indeed the, um, the Horizon Europe program, and Colin explained very well in the keynote, uh, we will uh, now move forward with a strategic partnership uh, for smart networks and services, building on the success story of the 5G PPP with a more strategic approach with industry and co-lead with member states on board to take strategic decisions and, and uh, have even more investment and more uh, commitment towards uh, research and development towards 6G. So this will be a very important continuation. Um, and then comes, as, as you mentioned, um, the new programs, which are more on deployment. So that's the first time that we now have programs where we do capacity building and deployment. So quite close to the market, but um, focused on, on areas of market failure. Of course, we don't want to crowd out private investments. So private investment will still be in the world of 5G and 6G, be the dominating source of funding. And this has to continue. So it's, it's about crowding in private investment by focusing on market failures and areas of public interest. And there, Roberto Viola mentioned this morning, two uh, of these pillars, so 5G corridors, where indeed the idea is a bit like what Mike just presented, to, to build up this, this ecosystem with, uh, with the scalable infrastructure and an efficient multi-service infrastructure. So really have this, uh, only then this, these investments can work. Yeah? If you build out these infrastructures only focused on one sector in a silo, 
that is probably not successful. Then you can maybe cover some hotspots, some uh, some um, uh, construction sites or some some areas that you can maybe cover dedicated for this. But at the end, if you want this ambitious coverage, ambitious investments in the area of billions of euros, then you need uh, um, synergies. Yeah, and there indeed the idea is to build out these infrastructures that can serve a broad range of services along the highway network, the main axis in Europe. That's that's the start where high level will start probably because there's no no um, pedestrians, yeah, no no uh, people running on the streets. So it's mainly changing lanes, so and, and driving straight uh, and then uh, braking, and and so th this will be the first high levels of automation use cases. So that's why it's important to really focus on these. Of course, urban areas as well. And there we have the 5G communities uh, and they're talking about traffic lights, using the different um, uh, city infrastructure, smart cities for transport and having intelligence uh, transport services in the cities that will also move. So that's the automotive part. Um, we will now start these calls next year with um, yeah, already several hundred millions in the first few years to really get into real deployment of this, these infrastructures with the commercial vision. It's not about making testing um, or experimentation. It's really about going into these challenging areas along highways and building out this infrastructure to, to build up these ecosystems. So that's new and that's quite challenging, but we are we're advancing well. So we will see first calls next year and first projects coming in next year. Um, then uh, for 5G communities, it's not only about the automotive, it's also, of course, all kinds of use cases that you can imagine that you can build in communities, uh, thinking about hospitals, schools, uh, think about smart cities. Uh, so their proposals can come with a good, interesting use case with the public angle as well, and then um, also um, nurture these, these ecosystems and or broaden broaden use cases that are developing in the main big cities where we don't have to in intervene with funding, but then bringing that maybe to a broader user base uh, in, in, in areas where there's market failure. So this, these are the new deployment pr uh, programs under CEF Connecting Europe facility. And uh, altogether, uh, we would try to, of course, do this in synergy with the next generation EU and with the uh, R&D programs. Wonderful. Thank you very much. Over to Hillary. Are we ambitious enough in Europe with 5G and digitalization? Can we do more? And how can we become the digital leaders? Thanks. Thanks for a great question. So I would, I would encourage us to be more ambitious. And I'm going to take the example of the digital compass strategy, which is where we lay out our goals to be a digital leader by 2030 in the EU. The connectivity goal is to be um, full 5G coverage by 2030. And I would say, can we add to that, that we've begun 6G deployment in major cities and transport routes? On microelectronics, can we say not just that 20% of global chip production, but major step forwards in European chip design and attracting companies to relocate some of their capacity to Europe um, that will help increase demand in Europe as well, right? So being, again, part of the ecosystem, both from a demand and supply perspective. The, there's a... Um, to, there's a, an ambition there that 10,000 cloud edge nodes will be provided by a federated European cloud by 2030. We think that should be by 2025. 
Um, so those are some examples. The other thing that I think is important is connectivity and digitalization are absolutely enablers to, enablers to cut carbon emissions. Um, and and uh, and I tell you the most encouraging thing I heard the, recently is about a TED talk on methane, catching methane leaks. This is a great 5G use case, okay? Um, but there are there are not incentives yet well set to invest in the enablers like smart grids and distributed green power generation. So the EU green finance and taxonomy regulation excludes um, excludes today 5G uh, connectivity from its scope, which um, which is not helpful. So uh, this is another area where I think we can be more ambitious and acknowledge uh, the role that um, that 5G and eventually 6G can play uh, in in saving the planet fundamentally. <laughs> So those are a couple of things I think we need to be more ambitious about. I think we need to be more ambitious about the role Europe plays, and I think we need to be more ambitious about sustainability. Try to keep it short so there's some time for other folks. Wonderful. Thanks for that. And let's definitely hope that Europe will implement all these ideas and we, we truly become uh, leaders in the world. Over to Antonio. Antonio, as we said before, space is, is really uh, an integral part of the future of connectivity across Europe. What does the future hold for 5G and 6G? And make it a little bit more specific for us so we understand how that transition is going to go and where in the end we're going to end up when we eventually start rolling out 6G, as far as you can see. <laughs> thank you, Maris, and uh, thank you to Peter and Hillary. I think I completely agree with both uh, intervention of Peter on, on the evolution of the use cases and the deployment of commercial, not just trials, but commercial um, services. And with Hillary about the sovereignty of Europe, making sure that Europe uh, is at the uh, forefront of the technology, of the chipset, of the network side, uh, etc. So I think on that we are, we are completely aligned. And what, what what we see and what we hope is that uh, space and, and satellite has a role to play on that in a sustainable way as well. We, we think that, as mentioned before, some of the satellite constellations uh, will, uh, will be deployed, they will be successful. We're already cooperating on some European satellite constellation. We have a partnership with uh, OneWeb, for example, here in the UK to deploy it. Um, we, we see the network complexity and the satellite network becoming more and more complex. And we think they're evolving to, from 5G to 6G. Uh, there will be more uh, technology mechanisms to actually manage this complexity. And new technology like, uh, you know, it's been mentioned already, the use of artificial intelligence to serve the end user community, but also to manage the complexity of the networks will be deployed uh, more at scale. So we are looking at use of artificial intelligence and machine learning for intelligence autonomous satellite constellations that not only uh, autonomously adapt to the traffic demand but also provide the the, the safety and the sustainable uh, use of space in a safe uh, in a safe way um, some other technology we see which will uh, enable this uh, european um, you know, sovereignty or, or on technology on 5g towards 6g is the use of end-to-end uh, data system, data platform, cloud uh, platform. So we see just like terrestrial uh, networks, the cloudification of space networks as well, where more and more is softwareized and is on the cloud. Um, we, are, we are exploring a supporting technology development where elements of 5G and then 6G 
uh, network element will be distributed in space. So we would like to see uh, flying G node B and, and 6G networks in space so that space uh, space assets become uh, like router in, the, in, in space of a seamless global 5G and then 6G network. network. So we see just uh, like uh, other things like the, the, the digitalization has been already mentioned, but perhaps the uh, macro edge technology uh, helped by space is something which has not been mentioned yet uh, in order to serve and to make sure that each, each traffic light and each street is actually connected and providing the necessary information to and from uh, connected vehicles. We see, again, space playing a very important role uh, to provide information to the edge of the networks and push information to the uh, micro edge, perhaps, where every single uh, corner of a street is actually uh, interacting, connecting with data platforms in the cloud and, and the, the provision and the deployment of hybrid uh, terrestrial satellite network can very definitely very much help on that. Uh, in corridor, not only in rural areas, but perhaps also in, in, in highly densely populated areas where information is key and the continuous transfer and, and availability of information at the edge of the network can definitely be aided by, um, by satellite service delivery and information delivery. So these are just some of the uh, elements that we see going forward. We are very keen to support uh, the, the space sector, the technology, Sector, perhaps join forces with the terrestrial community in terms of chipset, the availability of uh, hybrid 5G, 6G satellite networks, for example, with unified and commercially available chipset technology is definitely perhaps the single most important critical elements in order to realize this uh, 5G and 6G ubiquitous network. And that's something where we are um, spending time and effort and money to be able to provide competitive uh, user terminal antenna technologies that the like of BMW can actually commercially uh, deploy on their uh, existing and future vehicles. So we are keen to work with uh, all kinds of use cases and, and st uh, market stakeholders, uh, Peter mentioned, whether it's uh, transport, utilities, uh, energy or, uh, or safety, in order to make sure that uh, in Europe, we maintain the, the technology edge, we were able to continue to deliver uh, this end-to-end -end network, which will underpin the 5G and the 6G uh, economy. Uh, thank you very much. Two more questions to go, one for Mike and then one for Michael. Mike, concurring technologies between ITS G5 and LT and 5G, uh, which is the best way forward? for a fast and smart implementation? Yeah, thank you for the question. Um, I think um, we in Europe are currently discussing since 2010 the CITS strategy from the European Commission. And to be honest, little has, to be, little has been turned out now in reality. So there are discussions about the different communication technology, be it Wi-Fi, or beat um, the cellular technology with a direct communication mode as well. We as BMW, we have a clear, clear position. Um, we want to go to the future-proof technology. All our cars are equipped with SIM cards, with eSIM cards, since 2010. 
we have, I think, the largest connected vehicle fleet um, on, on the global scale. And we have implemented or launched the first 5G vehicle this month. So for us, it's clear 5G is the technology path and all the use cases which are envisaged with the under the CITS umbrella, be it um, traffic ahead, emergency vehicle approaching, a closer um, green light optimal speed advisory for increasing traffic safety and efficiency, uh, hazard informations, all the different hazards, be it heavy rain, potholes, slippery spots, are currently detected with a lot of sensors integrated in our vehicles. And that information is shared via mobile network communication um, to a specific cloud. And from there, that information is shared with um, other traffic participants as, as well. So when it comes to, for, to safety related um, um, information, we shared it um, for non-cost for everybody who wants to use the data. And that clearly follows as well the, the mobile network communication path. We need those um, cloud-based backends where that information is stored, false positives are deleted, and that we have reliable service for um, our customers uh, and our citizens um, using that 5G technology. So I think we, we need to make a clear decision now um, and we should not implement both concurrent technologies, but clearly go to the future-proof technology, which from our perspective really is 5G. Thanks a lot, Mike. And last question over to Michael. EMF, uh, actually, concerns regarding EMF were stalling the rollout of 5G in the past years. What are Beric's main lessons learned from that? Thank you very much, Marius, for the question. I wouldn't say um, really that these concerns were stalling the, the rollouts, but untruth about EMF were certainly a cause for concern because they incited some citizens to take actions against uh, local 5G deployment and social media played a huge role in ensuing fears. But the, the members of BEREC want to provide independent answers to questions European citizens might have about 5G. We've therefore taken the initiative to organize a workshop on 5G and EMF. And uh, we have gathered the views of undisputed experts like ECNURP, IEEE, ANFR, and the Joint Research uh, Center. So the, the, the workshop's main objective was to collect the science-based research and the communications activities carried out to date with regard to EMF. And uh, moreover, it's presented in arrays and other competencies for, with instances on how they could promote it, EMF exposures, limits backed up by this scientific uh, research. And Professor Rodney Croft, who chaired the ECNIPT, confirmed that the 2020 guidelines are an, an improvement with respect to the uh, 1998 guidelines in terms of rationale of protections, transparency, and rules for multiple exposures. And, but there is still no evidence uh, of health effect below the ECNIRP exposure uh, levels, which is the, the main lesson, I think, and other speakers 
also highlighted the, uh, the importance of clear and proactive risk communication with a unified uh, message. So it appears three considerations, namely cooperation, education, and information sharing, appear to be fundamental for the attainment of the healthy EMF environment. And we will publish a summary report on our website mid-December. Just to finish, in light of this workshop, we uh, in Beric encourages NRAs to keep abreast with uh, any relevant EMF related developments, particularly the area of risk communications, such as publication by ITU, IEE, WHO, and, and so on. And NRA should also keep track of the, the effort done by their counterparts in other countries with respect to EMF, because certain practices may easily be adapted and tailored to be deployed in multiple uh, countries. So, in conclusion, Barrack's work on EMF is a valuable support, not only to NRA, but also to other competent authorities on EMF. And of member states should consider also the, the common union to, uh, toolbox for connectivity consisting of agreed best practices to, to boost timely deployment of 5G. Thank you for your attention. Over to you. Thank you very much. This concludes the panel discussion. However, I heard a lot of agreement, but also some concerns raised and some urgency for action, especially in the domains of uh, microprocessors and in the domains of deployment and, and transport systems. I'd like to thank all our panelists for their uh, valuable contributions. Uh, we heard each other and we hope to see you again next time.